Okay. As far as I know, this is the first time, and we are live for the First Strike Podcast, first time on Facebook Live, on the official Face Face Games Facebook feed. And uh, before we go to the show, let's plug the show, start the show. Got to plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week we have a sale. We're trying to promote the Team Trios uh, events across Canada that we're hosting on the F2F Tour. So we've got Select, Modern, Legacy, Pioneer singles. Um, up, up for sale, and uh, I believe, as usual, it's probably up to 50% off. But, so definitely go facefacegames.com. Check out the online store today. we got a packed show. Not only do I got some of my regular crew, John and Elliot, on the show, we also got GP champion Isaac Krupp on the show, back on the show. And we also got D. Rude, former Pro Tour champion, back on the show, both returning. And uh, all of them, all of them were participating at GP New Jersey. So that's what we're going to jump into uh, right away. Uh, welcome back on the show, Dirud. Hey, what's up? It's good to be here. Uh, it's been a while, but, you know, always happy to come in when, uh, <laughs> when we're going to talk about some limited, for sure. Some limited. Uh, welcome back and congratulations on your win, Isaac. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot, a lot of things have been going great with you, uh, especially I, what I love the most is when... You no, know, D. Rude was actually like promoting you um, to me privately in person that you were possibly an up and comer, and then you qualify the first time by the Arena Championship. You do it again the second time, thanking Andy for his deck list, and now uh, once again you crush a GP. So a heck of a run for you so far, right? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Few months, and a good start of twenty twenty. And uh, then there's the player store. So let's keep that rolling. Uh, but the first topic I, I want to jump in on before we, we dissect your win is that like all four of you went down to New Jersey. And the big thing on Twitter was that there were a lot of people. That was the, the big thing that I was reading on my timeline. It was packed. And some people were tweeting, you know, you thought Paper Magic was dead? Well, everyone came to play. Uh, not only that, at, at the local shop we hosted uh, at the Face to Face Game in Montreal, a team trios event again some someone else tweeted because we had 28 2019s which fills the entire store there and again someone tweeted out you know you thought paper magic was dead uh, so d root uh was the reason that not not only the the reason for so many people to show up but even you yourself showed up and not only that most of a lot of the harry t crew went down and played magic fest new jersey so um can you explain why you thought like so many people came out to play for this one yeah, I think I think there's a lot of com- combination of factors. Like, um, well, all of us from ter- Team Heritage went down. I got actually Isaac wasn't even supposed to go down. He just like we booked the Airbnb and the place. Everybody got hyped, and he was like, "All right, I'd, you know, I'm pretty sure you got some major FOMO." He was like, I, "And he decided to fly down." Um, Abella was actually driving with us and came back flying, so there was a spot in my car on the way back. So Isaac just, you know, last minute decided to come. I mean, I mean not that last minute, but he decided to come, and um, I mean, I'm glad he did. I think a lot of people get excited. Like it's a combination factor between like the location of Jersey that's pretty popular. Like even last year's New Jersey sold out the venue. I know Sean like almost missed out on playing the GP after going for in the car ride with us. So people are just like it's a good location as far as like a lot of cities being close by. And then like in general, I think like even from working at Harry T, like I see like people are kind of frustrated with like so many bands and so many formats recently lose like building a deck and it gets banned and everything. And none of that stuff matters in limited, right? You just show up, you bring your sleeves, you, you bring, you know, whatever you need and you just show down, show up and play with the new cards. Right. So I think like that was part of it. And like you add on top of that, like the new fractional invites and it doesn't matter right now. Like if it's realistic for some people to actually get an invite, but everybody has that hope, like, you know, like, if I start off and I, I do well at the first GP, then maybe I can go to another one and, you know, change some invites and things like that. At least that's, that's how I see it. But, but, but people always compare like limited and constructed and say, oh, you know, everyone just cares about constructed more. But like you gave a lot of reasons why people might be showing more to a limited uh, GP. Yeah. I mean, there's also like the same thing that you guys said on the show about legacy, whereas like you know, there's less limited GPs than there's constructed GPs. So people who are limited specialists, you know, like me, like Gabe, when he was still playing, like other, like other people tend to be like, Oh, like I know I personally circle, you know, every limited GP that's drivable within, within, you know, reasonable distance. And 
um, set release GPs are even better for, for at least our style, right? Like we all got together, like we, we made a spreadsheet, like I, I know Elliot and, and uh, Andy were in and we even got a brought our mascot Bosu in. So like it was, everybody, you know, gets excited and you just try to jam as many drafts per release and everything as you can. And then like, there's always the excitement over like trying to find what the, you know, how to break the format, how to be, how to be ready for, you know, for limited. John, John, you came in because you wanted to see, we, we joked about it, but it was just to see like if you could chain a bunch of fractional invites and just keep, keep going on the train. Did you feel like a lot of people, maybe some of your friends came from maybe perhaps BC came with you? I don't know if they did. Um, did you feel a lot of people were similar to you uh, in terms of, of maybe trying to grind out these invites by, by going to these things? And that's why the popularity of, of New Jer- that's why it was so popular? It's really hard to say. Um, I didn't. I didn't have a lot of people from uh, my friends from BC come. Uh, I think that's partly because uh, it's limited, and partly because uh, the face-to-face games uh, Pioneer uh, Open was on the very same weekend as well as a modern PTQ. So I definitely understand um, that there, there was a valid reason for not going. Uh, personally, um, you're right. I, I did want to try and you know just travel to cities I've never been to. Uh, you know. And uh, just try to chain uh, some invites. Um, now, limited wasn't really, it's not really my forte, but given that I qualify for PT Phoenix, and which is a Theros limited uh, draft, I thought, you know, why not uh, give it a try? And I've never been to New York, so I spent the, first, uh, the middle of the week um, touring New York, which was great. So, um, But uh, I, I did see a lot of my uh, uh, Magic Online ringer friends, uh, so to speak, and uh, there, there was a common consensus. I think that, you know, now that there's this um, ability to chain fractionals um, that uh, incented them a bit more to travel to these things. So um, I think you're right um, in general that that was fueled, but that the attendance was fueled by that as well as being a release weekend uh, GP as well. We should be live hopefully uh, this time with some audio. And luckily uh, I thought we wouldn't have Andy, but Andy joins us on the show. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome on this episode, Andy, this uh, jam-packed episode. It's good to be here with the legendary Pro Tour champion. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, let's get thoughts from you, Andy. Um, I, I was trying to, de- the first question was just like how from, like you guys were all there, but from reading my timeline, it just seemed like people, it was packed and, and people were saying like, making jokes that, hey, you thought Paper Magic was dead? and then. For me, I, I had to message you, uh, the first strike private group, because I was like, hey, guys, like, I'm, I'm hearing people are like excited that there's a lot of people, but it's getting to the point where they can't even fire side events, they have to stop. And then you made a, a specific tweet that maybe it would just be mostly an online player except for, for players tour. So like, uh, elaborate on that. Like, how did the weekend go in terms of like, the amount of people? Did you feel excitement, but then was disappointed? Like the there was a ton of excitement because there was there's so many people there. Like there was an incredible amount of people in a very small area, which is sort of what killed the excitement. Is that there was just, everything was jam packed, like one too many people per table, made things like pretty uncomfortable. And because there's so many people in the room, it got really hot. And then even if like you didn't do well in the main event, you're like, oh, I'll join a draft to like. I don't know, cool off or just have some fun with it. They closed side events because the hall was at capacity. And so like the player experience was just terrible. And the more experience I have, I've just been having a really good time playing uh, magic online. Like the challenges are awesome. The new mock series thing is very cool. And there's a lot of PTQs and I, I'm, I feel the same like feelings. I feel like competitive magic, except I don't start like three to $500 down. And it's like two days down traveling to a tournament, but I'm still feeling like the same things. I still get the competitive edge and I can still qualify for the pro tour, which is probably like the most important thing for me, at least uh, when it comes to magic. And so like, I basically like went on the way back from this event. I'm like, why do I do this? Like the likelihood of spiking, unless you're Isaac crude is just so low that it's not worth going to these events when you could just play magic online and get, more opportunities at the pro tour and have a much better tournament experience. Like the rounds aren't an hour and 20 minutes, not an incredible downtime. And you're allowed to just do other stuff while you're playing, which is like one of my favorite things about uh, magic online. So I'm going to get Elliot in here. Uh, noted six hour 
Traveler, Elliot Fortier, on and also Gatherer Lover. So I mean, you got out, you got to hang out with with most of the First Strike crew, which is something you love. And so, did the crowd, did the environment take anything away from that enjoyment? Uh, well, luckily, a lot of the gathering happens outside of the venue, <laughs> but the, it was it was heinous. It must have been like thirty degrees inside the venue, and you know they already tend to have a nice gamer smell to them, but in the heat, it's just all that much worse. And it, like nothing was good about it, other than the gathering and the magic. You were just like elbow to elbow with people. Like the vendors were just jam packed. You had to like ask people to to move just to navigate the whole venue. Um, and it it really makes you wonder like are all GPs going to be like as crammed as possible like that? Or are they going to have like, you know, I, I remember a GP Montreal two years ago or something like that, where it was almost comical how much extra space there was. And then this year's GP Montreal was again, super tight packed, not enough tables to, to sit and, and jam casual games. And it's not a matter of more people were there. It's just, they cut down the hall size. So, you know, I, I hope this isn't a trend for, for Northeastern GPs, which tend to be a little bigger. John, this doesn't discourage you from going to more, right? No, I've generally had um, pretty good experiences, like both the city and the venue. This, this was kind of pushing it. It was a zoo. I was in my t-shirt. Um, <laughs> everyone was sweating. People were not washing hands. Just like, just like a filthy zoo, really. But everything, and the convention center, just look like you know, like a sure too smaller than it should have been. But I'm not. I'm not sure if their previous data suggested that like this was enough or not. But I certainly would hope that um, this is not the norm now. Well, it was just exciting to to hear how like early they were saying that it was going to sell out, right? Like the the main event and stuff. So I think that that was a positive sign compared to the low attendance numbers that were trending near the end of of 2019. I'm so. I'm legit not sure like what's better for like the magic experience if it's like better to have these like sold out events or if it's better to have like these 700 person GPs where there's like 500 other people in the hall doing whatever the hell they want like I think the average like uh, experience here was like relatively poor and if you have like I don't know 1600 people having like a a medium to poor experience it's not as good as having like a thousand people have a great experience, right? Like, cause you're going to discourage a bunch of those people who were going from going again. But if they have a great experience, they're more likely to go to ones they wouldn't go to. So I'm like, I'm not sure exactly where the line is on whether like quality versus how much it costs for them to be worth it. But as, as it is, I did not, I didn't like it. I mean, right. I'm, I'm straight up. I'm looking up at the venue next time it's GP New Jersey or New York, and I'm just not going back if it's the same venue next year. Like it sold out last year, it sold out this year. I'm I was walking around like I listen. It was a great weekend for us and everything, but I was walking around and I could see people playing Commander in the hallway on the floor because they couldn't you know sit down and play anywhere. And like I can't imagine somebody going and getting that experience and and deciding that they want to go back, right? Andy, like to that point, Andy, do you feel like there are some players like I think us, we are we're too similar in terms of like the, the more competitive side. But we, I got to feel like there's some amount or percentage of people that like enjoyed the fact that it was that many people or no. Well, like uh, like there's a spectacle to it, right? You can like yeah. tell people you went to this GP, it capped out. There were so many people. Every person they wanted to see was there. Yeah. But if everyone's having a bad time or like. Uh, they're just less likely to come back. And like that venue is not that bad when it's not crammed. Cause it's actually like really close to a bunch of hotels and really close to like a bunch of me- they're medium, but a bunch of medium restaurants. So like for when the attendance is low, it, was, it used to be like one of my favorite places because <laughs> it because it was so close to everything. You never didn't have to worry about parking and you could walk everywhere. But now that it's full, it's just a nightmare. And like the thought of like going to a GP Detroit or something like that. Now I'm just like, I miss the show, the showcase weekends where I could have spent all my mox points and miss like on a lot of opportunity for a lot of EV to go to this event. And I just feel so stupid because I could have stayed at home and played magic online, spent time with my fiance 
and hung <laughs> and hung out with my friends the same. But instead, I like traveled to this tournament where the the only good part was that me and John got to watch the Raptors beat the New York Knicks. Hmm. That sounds great. Uh, Drude, I, I think uh, you wanted to really rant a bit about GPs. Was it more like this past weekend, or was it um, the structure itself and the importance? to the competitive player. So I just want to give you that, that chance. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's more like, yeah, like the venue is bad and everything, but just in general, I feel like in the last year, they've sort of lost their ways. I feel like, like they, they decided to push to, to try to make the stars, the main focus of competitive magic and be like, hey, look at these, you know, 20 something people that are crushing and, and all that. And like the attendance has suffered and there's a very, you know, there's varying factors, there's bands and this and that. But like, I, I talked to people at, you know, the PTQ level or who were like all excited to try to qualify when they brought back the, the PTQs. Like we got two different PTQs in Toronto that were like 200 people, one in Toronto, one in Kitchener. And the basic feeling is now is yeah. Like it's a little easier to qualify with the WPNQs and in stores and stuff like that, but it, it doesn't feel, I don't know how to explain it, but it doesn't feel like there's hope for people to chain like good finishes. Like they're just like, they just see it as like, if I'm a casual Joe, which honestly pretty much these days I, is I am like my hope is to qualify for a pro tour. So I see it the same way as a lot of these people see it. And it's more like they don't see the possibility of ever making the MPL or even rivals. Like it doesn't seem realistic to most people. Whereas before it would be like, Oh, if I win this PTQ, I can, you know, I can go and play in this pro tour. I've seen this guy that I know that plays FNM with me who t- just top eight at GP. He was on coverage, like he was on feature match. I could see him and either cheer for him on be like, or be like, if I can see that this guy is, can make it, then maybe that means I can make it, right? So like, I feel like the the casual people who play FNM and show up to PTQs are kind of not really seeing a real path for them to ever spike things and make it. And I think a lot of that is, has been the way that they've handled the transition. And I mean, I'm, hopefully it's getting better with the regional pro tours, which I'm not, you know, personally, I'm not excited about regional pro tours. I'm sorry. Like it, it feels to me like arena PTs is what they're pushing for. And it, it's kind of hurting the, the paper scene. Uh, you can see people are just not that excited about qualifying for the pro tour as they used to. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see, um, again, we're, we're hosting, at face Vegas games, Montreal and Toronto, the next wave of WP and Qs. And it'll be interesting to see like if we hit the cap at each of the preliminaries, which is like, I think th- I actually we can, I'm not sure if there's a cap, but uh, we're hoping to get more than 32 people at each of these things and, and to be able to qualify eight. We'll see the excitement, but uh, Elliot's played a, a few of them and where we had 20 ish people. So um, I'm, I'm going to be able to see and compare the excitement. Uh, but let's just jump to straight to, to get some Isaac content, the champion, our champion, or mostly his champion. What was your prep heading into this weekend? I mean, I think uh, Dave was mentioning that you, the original plan was for you not to come. So uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, the, the whole team was so excited to go to this GP in the chat. So I was jealous and decided to come see them. Um, so how was your prep for, for uh, Theros Beyond Death then? Was it a lot of just learn, listening to these guys talk on the way there? What was the prep? Yeah, uh, we have a spreadsheet where we record all our, all our Magic Online drafts. So I was playing a lot of drafts and I was watching a few streamers like Kyle Rose and Lord Tupperware from Lords of Limited, I think it helped me see their understanding of the format compared to my own thoughts and come up with something that worked. Yeah, I mean, I I think like I've been saying like Lords of Limited is great. And uh, like whenever I'm in the store, people ask me questions like how, how to get better at drafting. And I think like, Lords of limited and limited resources where I point them. But like, I just always feel like there's a certain level that you can reach because these podcasts are, are made to, you know, for the mass audience and everything. But I got to plug my man, Kyle Rose, the ham TV. Like he's been killing it for like, he's who pros watch when they're trying to test for a limited pro tour, like for the limited portion. 
Um, I think he posted by the time we left, um, we left to go to the GP. Um, I think his win rate was something like a hundred wins and 22 losses. And he had like 30 trophy and I don't know, like 60 leagues, something crazy. And it just like, in general, he, he kind of, um, so like everybody was excited about black, like a black's the best color. It's super deep. The top commons are really good, but like he always tries to find underdrafted cards and how to build decks early on. Like in the intro of Eldraine was with, um, the out the halberd that gives plus two plus one and in this set like it felt like rapid flames was the most underrated card um and a lot of people weren't playing the white cards because they felt like it was the weakest color and then we started posting our our decks in the spreadsheet and just like our trophy decks and discussing cards and things like that and i mean isaac drafted one of those decks in his in his final pod where he needed to go i think 102 or something and he just ended up going 2-0 and drawing into the top eight and I think Andrew drafted that deck in top eight at Elbogen and he played against Isaac in the first round. And then like his deck seemed very good. I think it, it was like a bad matchup in, against what he played. But yeah, I think I just, I just think Ham is probably the best limited player in my opinion, who's putting count, content out there. Like I do think there could be like some MPL pros who could be better if all they did was draft, but like nobody does that, right? Like if you're in the MPL, you're mostly playing standard, you're mostly playing whatever the next upcoming tournament is. Whereas this guy is just like open his computer, draft, stream, only talk about limited, right? And I think Isaac gave him a shout out and and, I mean, he drafted really well. And yeah. That's insane. Like that win rate doesn't even seem real. (laughs) It's kind of insane. It's kind of insane. Yeah, at one point he, he was number one and two in limited on in uh, on Magic Arena. <clears throat> he just played on an alt account and then had was first oh. and second. Man, I didn't know people did that for for Magic. <laughs> like having multiple I mean, times, like at some point like, this summer, he posted a screenshot of him where he was number one in trophy on Magic Online in in limited and number one in Arena at the same time. So yeah, it's pretty sick. It's okay, also wow. super valuable watching a player like him play because he's going to find all like the weird angles. Like, I mean, Rudar already mentioned the white-red deck, but one of the things that makes that an insane strategy is the fact you can wrap and flame your own uh, like fake heroic creatures and just anthem your team two or three times to make an alpha attack. And that's something that's really not intuitive. And I know Andy mentioned he specifically saw uh, Ham TV do it, and it was just like the switch that makes you think, all right, this white red deck is pretty real. John, John, did you want to plug some some other content producers as well that that have helped you? Yeah, I've mentioned this before, and I believe David or sorry Isaac has as well. But um, I, I have nothing but good things to say about the Lords of Limited guys. I actually got to meet uh, meet uh, Ethan and Ben uh, this weekend. Uh, they're they're just like super tuned grinders. You know, they stream they stream limited. They grind. My- always on they're always on the uh near the uh leaderboard and you know they have a very good uh discord community where you know a lot of good uh limited players discuss the live trends and you know if if you're whereas like i think lr is pretty good for like a general overview of uh of the format Uh, lords of limited guys i think do a very good job staying in tune and just like getting the nuances right so i gotta give them a shout out uh, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Rose, I just recently started watching, um, obviously like what, what they say about the pro he's, he's who the pros watch to test. Um, it seems very <laughs> correct. You know, like he's just like a very elite limited player. His records speak for itself. So, um, I, I, I didn't find him until very recently, but I'm glad I did. He seems like a, his stream seems like a bigger resource. Man, just another killer that, uh, John is praising Andy. Just another online, online sicko. Um, <laughs> Isaac, how was the tournament? Um, let's say like the Swiss and the top eight. Like, did you open an easy pool to build? Like, tell us, tell us about like your day one. Yeah, I think my two best players by far were the Red Phoenix and Elspeth. So I was playing red white aggressive deck. I had to Arroyo's blessings. I have some removal. I have some good creatures on curve. And it really worked well for me. I finished day one on day after day one. Yeah, when I, when I saw this pool, I, was, I hoped for a 7-2 because I didn't have 
Cairo best to seek out or doing trawler or like a lot of ton of removal. But being aggressive worked out for me in day one. Okay, so how so you're eight one heading to day two? What was day two like? Yeah, both my drafts started like in the best possible way. I opened <laughs> wow Dream Troller in the first draft, and Blue White was somewhat open, so my deck ended up pretty decent. I had three first meaning, just a lot of card draw, and Dream Trollers were on the way to win the game. So I almost drew in the round 10, I think. Okay. But, but I drew Dream Troll just in time to win on turn four. And my second draft started with the White Archon, the 3 4 Lifelink. And I okay. drafted this sweet red white deck with Rapid Flames. Yeah, and White was also really open yeah. in that draft. I, I was actually. I was actually watching uh, his draft because, you know, I basically never won all weekend. It was like a, a perfect time for me to, you know, I went to go get a cake for him when it was his birthday and everything. But I was actually standing behind and watching him draft. And it was like, it was amazing because like I felt I was kind of like watching myself draft as in like he took like every pick I would have taken pretty much, which was like pretty impressive. Not, not I don't know, not to say that I, I'm amazing or anything, but every time I wanted him to take a pick that felt like unconventional he did it and like a lot of it i guess came from we were both watching uh cow rose draft a lot and everything and even like we're one time we we're watching stream and he opens the or he gets past the six one uh the rare that's double red double white that you roll a dice or whatever to get protection and hack those settings call and he's talking on stream and he's like guys you're not gonna like me because i'm gonna take this three two that's heroic over this rare that you guys think is good and I'm watching Isaac draft, and he has two like rares that cause double red. Like he has the Phoenix and the Tectonic Giant, and all like super good white cards. And he takes the three two heroic over the the six one. I could just hear like Cal Rose, you know, just <laughs> talking behind him, just like being like this. You know, that's what you're doing. So the, he finishes the draft, so now they go to build, and I'm standing there talking with Kristoff uh, and um, Andrew Bella, our teammates, and I'm like, guys. Like he drafting, he drafted this sick month, this so sick white deck with Raptor Flame, but he's got the Phoenix and the Tectonic Giant. Like I really hope he doesn't play them because it really messes up his mana base. Even though these cards are like super powerful, and Abella was like, "No, he's got to play them. Like you have to play these cards. They're just way too good." And I'm just like, "So, so right there, I'm like, listen, you want to bet? I bet you ten bucks. He's not gonna, he's not gonna play these red rares. Like they're, they're I just, I believe in him. Like I know he's gonna do the right discipline choice, and you know he needs to go." you know, win one or two rounds to make top eight. And then like, as soon as uh, Isaac finished building, he posts in our team chat and he's like, yeah, I've got my deck. I didn't, I'm not playing these two red rares. And I'm not going to say exactly what I said. I definitely dropped an F-bomb and I was like, yes, let's go. I know, I know he's going to get there because he, he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Wow, that's, that's so sick. I think it's so sick that uh, this, this drafter you guys are watching is so, sounds so legendary now. Um, and, and so Isaac, day two was, I mean, you said the drafts were, were pretty easy. Did it go pretty smoothly or were there some close calls where you may not have made top eight or were, were you just crushing people? Yeah, my deck were just so good. I, <laughs> the games weren't really close. Okay. So you felt confident heading to the top eight? Yeah. After going 5-0 in the drafts. I felt pretty confident that I know the format and, and I know what, how to draft it. What did the draft give you? What kind of deck did the finals give you? Uh, it man, it didn't go well. <laughs> I think after the draft, Dave and Sean saw my deck and like thought it was pretty medium. And I also didn't like the deck. Like I in the first pack, I opened Airbus. I took it, and when I saw zero black, zero black cards. So I had to switch colors. I ended up in green-white, just mediocre creatures, some advent- some removal, some tricks. And I, that, I, that had, had some good cards, but it's just not a great archetype when people can do more powerful things in this format. Dave was messaging me that you were going to lose, probably, because your deck was not strong enough. 
how did you manage to, to take it all down? I think I had some rares and some removal. So I you knew I, I just need to get a little lucky to get through and not play against some insane decks full of removal. How was bombs. your, how, how good was your finals opponent's deck then? Like you were down the game and I was like, okay, he's, I guess he's probably going to lose here, but uh, you managed to rally to win. So what exactly happened in those two games? Yeah. Uh, Game two, I won just by the 4-4 Unicorn, Captivating Unicorn, I think. My opponent just played big creatures, and I also had full board, and I tapped his blockers and attacked lethal. I, I, I didn't have a lot of enchantments in my deck, but I think I drew all of them just in time to finish the game. And in game three, my opponent just never drew his his fourth land, maybe he drew it too late. He was stuck on freelance. Okay. And I guess that ended up, ended pretty quickly. Yeah. So where do you, where does this rank up? Like you've been having a, a hot, hot run. Is this your, your biggest accomplishment yet? How do you feel right now? Uh, I feel pretty good. I, I'm invited to a lot of tournaments now. I can play PTQs, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. What's next? What's next? What's the next big tournament? Uh, in May, I have regional PT and uh, Mythic Invitational week after that. And then I have PT finals in July. And I think another regional PT in October. Mm, sick. Um, D-Rude, you've, you know, we've had like multiple people from Harry T on. I expect we will have more from, from your team uh, in the future. I mean, we've had you, Gabe Sang, um, we've had Sean Dollywell more than once, probably twice. Um, lots to be excited about. Is there, is there someone else that uh, you want to hype up in, for the for the next year? Um, I don't know. It's just, just the, the same guys, Team Harry T. We're just like, you know, we, we didn't do a draft camp this time, but we usually do one for every every release GP. Uh, I took a break from actually working in the store, but I'm going back in March. So I expect the, the draft camp to come back and things like that. But I think in general, like I want to surround myself with people who, you know, who want to travel to GPs or play online and just like take the game seriously. And I also want to try to help out like young and up and comer players. Cause like, that's the only, that's how I got better. It was surrounding myself with people who were as good or better than me and driven things like that. Like I don't have the I don't have the drive or the time to play as much as, as these guys do, but I can always at least like help them surround them with other people that are good or like try to help them learn like a work ethic that lets them get there. And like people sometimes like I'm a multi limited guy, but like I try to show them like you have to put the same amount of effort in, in limited as you do in constructed. Otherwise you can't expect to do great. And like, I understand it doesn't matter as much as, as constructed does for how magic is structured now. But like you're not going to do well in PTs if you, you're not good at, at both. There's just no way. Um, as far as other than that, and I don't know, I'm just trying to help people who are trying to get better and things like that. And um, up and comer, I don't know. I just, I just like to surround myself with people who I think are not just good, but also like, you know, nice, nice guys. I don't want to have to deal with controversy and things like that. So <laughs> if I'm going to say something, I'm going to say, um, Look out probably for Dave Booker. I, I see you, man. I've seen you at a lot of GPs. I, I know you're trying hard. That's probably an, you know, a guy that we start looking out in the next year or so, probably. Sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys go. So we're going to get another guest in. Thank you so much for your time, Isaac, Dave. Like uh, Anytime, you're welcome on the show. And uh, we, I, I look forward to the next time you guys come on. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was D-Rude. Who I affectionately call father of uh, Team Harry T. And we got Isaac, the most recent GP champion. Um, both of them on the show. And then we're going to get, uh, try to get, while I try to get Roy Yang on the show, who's the champion of F2F Tour Vancouver, the very first F2F event, um, because he's messaging me having no clue how to get in. Uh, let's go, John, let's go to you. Um, how was your weekend? Uh, let's go through you three really quick. Um, in terms of like the main event or the events that you guys played, uh, so starting with you, John. 
Well, my plan was twofold. One, to bring a Pioneer deck that I can test for a PT Phoenix, as well as, you know, hoping to really... My, my goal this year, I, I think, is to day two a limited GP. You know, my for as a lot of you guys know, um, limited really isn't my forte here. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm a dog to, like, you know, even win win games in sealed. But, you know, uh, because of the PT Phoenix, you know, I did study a lot... Um, the uh, Thoreau's limited format, and I really tried hard and uh, just tried a day two here uh, on Friday. I, I didn't do well with the five color Nivmiza in Pioneer. Um, that felt medium. Saturday, I opened a pool with um, Dream Trawler and Shadow of the Sky. You know, you think that that is a recipe to, you know, a recipe to like at least seven two, if not more, even with two buys, but. Um, my pool really didn't have a lot of uh, playables, but I, I think that a better uh, limited pilot probably um, could have uh, day two'd, but as it, as it stood, um, I just died a horrible death. Um, you know, I, I had Dream Trawler twice on board, and I lost both of those games. Uh, Polucranos actually is a quite a good counter play to uh, Dream Trawler, so, uh, as it appears. And Sunday, uh, I... I went 4-1 uh, in the Pioneer PTQ with uh, Niv-Mizzet as well. I'm sure we'll be hearing Niv-Mizzet uh, more often um, later in the format, uh, later, later in the cast. And then I, uh, I scooped to Matthew Stein, friend of the show, so I can catch my flight. So all in all, it's, it was like kind of a medium, medium, mediumly fruitful kind of a weekend. I'm very disappointed I didn't day two, but, you know, it's going to be a learning experience for me, learning limited. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely got to see a lot of New York uh, as a tourist. And uh, I got to see a lot of uh, my uh, magic friends uh, online, from online and in person as well. I got to hang out with a lot of Canadian guys, so I can't really complain. So that was that was my week. That was my week. Okay, actually, let's let's see. Roy, are you with us? Let's just jump. Yes. Uh, can you guys hear me? Perfect. That awesome. is perfect. Um, congratulations on your win. We'll we'll, we'll just jump straight to you. Um, Thanks. Taking down F two F. Vancouver, and you had told me that, not told me, you had told John, John had told me the story that you couldn't really assemble uh, the deck completely to, to give it a go. So t- tell us the whole story. Yeah, so I'm pretty notorious for being a modern Jund player and mid-range player in general. So when Pioneer come out, I'm like, well, I need to make Greece some version of green-black work. I worked on that until like three days before the tournament. It didn't work. Uh, I tried all versions of Greenback Delirium or all versions of uh, Jund uh, apps at mid-range. None of those worked. Spent like one to two days testing different versions of Nivmizit. That keeps on working. So I decided, okay, I have most of these cards. I'll get the rest. And that's the mid-range deck I will take to the tournament. Go to the Friday, and I have gotten every single card but Niv-Mizzet. Goes to all of the stores, no Niv-Mizzets. I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. Face-to-face has to have Niv-Mizzets. <laughs> I'm not panicking, I'm not panicking. Uh, so I'm like, just in case, anyone around me has Niv-Mizzets? I have a friend, Steven, who opened a foil one during pre-release. He's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I got that one. I felt pre-release with it, but uh, I still have the card. I'm like, thank God, if they don't have it, well, I'll see what happens. I go there. They don't have it. Okay, perfect. Backup plan. Uh, one Niv Mizzet, technically five Niv Mizzets, uh, with the four Bring Two Lights, and go into my friend's junk pile and his EH deck to find two cards that's playable. Found Koga's Command, which technically is another Niv Mizzet to kill it, and uh, Avacyn that's quote unquote wow. playable. Wow. And, and you still crushed the event. Uh, there was a lot of times where I was like, you know, if I can bring to life for my second of visit, I can end the game, but I can't. So here's an Avacyn. Let's see if this can get there. And I made the event a lot harder than I wanted it to, but it ended up working out. That's just generally really powerful and gives you a lot of lines. Um, I, I have, um, access to so someone on my team compiled, uh, all the deck lists into uh, different categories. It looked really uh, diverse. Uh, did you feel that way, or, or were you expecting a feel a specific deck, or, or that people were playing the Mizzet because it had some some steam online? 
So the field is really diverse. Um, I would say the decks that I saw the most in the top tables consisted of uh, two versions of Blue White, Blue White Control and Blue White Spirits slash Band Spirits with uh, one person pioneering Band Spirits. There was a couple of niv players and a couple of Insole players being the majority of what I saw, but there was just a lot of decks in general. Uh, one thing that I'm very thankful for for the tournament is there wasn't, as far as I saw, any mono green ramp decks, which uh, two weeks leading up to, I thought that would be like the deck everybody's on, and then it started dropping out of the meta because that matchup feels almost unwinnable for the deck. Hmm. Wait, which format? Uh, which matchup? Uh, mono green ramp felt almost unwinnable. Nothing you did seems to really matter other than pose board, getting a few beats in, crossing your fingers, you don't die, and then Rakdos returning them for lethal. Yeah, you're definitely right here. Andy can maybe opine, but like I think like Mono Green tra- uh, Ramp is one of the worst matchups here. You don't present a meaningful clock. You can't really disrupt them like uh, getting more lands. And even if you have Eagle, for example, you know, like what do you name here? Do you, na- mm-hmm. do you name Ugin? Do you name Worldbreaker? Do you, do you name Ulamog? Like, or even like, you know, like Cavaliers and whatnot. Like they, they have a lot of ways to beat you. So uh, I definitely do agree it's one of the worst matchups. Yeah, exactly. I did some testing with it. One of my friend uh, only built the ramp deck, and I realized, unlike your other mediocre matchups, like pre-board, if you don't hit your hate card, the breach deck is mediocre, and uh, pre-board, the Golgari Soulflare deck, other than me main decking of Languish, is pretty mediocre, and Dredge, but all of those you have four rest in pieces in the sideboard for. Uh, Monocreen Ramp, I realized there's no sideboard for it, because you effectively have no proper way to hate on the matchup to get a, well, quote-unquote free win. Hmm. Andy, you want to jump in here? Do you agree? And I know you tweeted about how you, you probably have a far spirit cyber to what you've seen out there. So interesting to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I got the best one out there. <laughs> the best money can buy, and I'll give it away for free. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, the, the ramp matchup is very bad, and it is, yeah, it is like unfixable to the point where like, you can't like really swing it. And the game plan is just to, like I don't know, survive a bit, do some damage and then Rakdos return them. It's like the only reason Rakdos return is still in my sideboard over like the thought distortion. It's the only reason is because it can hit uh, the ramp deck. Hmm. That is your, it's the only way. It's all you got. Did you have something in your superior sideboard for that? Is that what you have? Uh, I have two Rakdos return. I have, and I bring in the hound <laughs> against, uh, against it. Cause it has menace. Yeah, that was my plan too. It's not great, but you do what you have to do. It's in a weird spot, like uh, unlike like traditional ramp decks, where like a, a crumble to dust, for example, isn't useful. Like it is against like Tron because they're just like all basic lands that they're uh, they're um, they're ramping into. It's just the quantity of it that's like very important, and it, it's also not affected by damping sphere. In fact, um, a lot of lists do play damping sphere against. Things like uh, Lotus Breach, for example, because like no, like one individual land doesn't make more than one mana, except for Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. So it's in a very peculiar spot. And uh, um, if, if it were me, I would just like punt, punt the matchup, to be honest, and, or just pray. I, I also play Thoughtseize. I forgot to mention that, and Thoughtseize is kind of important. Hmm. Roy, Roy, before uh, before continuing with more Pioneer talk, I, I do want to just roll back to to get to know more about you. I was excited to to ask you to come on the show and excited to hear that you won because I, unless I'm mixing you up with another purpose person, I just have good memories of us playing at GP Vancouver in a mono black devotion. I remember having a good time playing against you. And um, I didn't know that after that, like after talking to John, John told me like not only that, after that you would top eight, go on to top eight, a GP, do decent at, a PT or two, I don't know. And, and you also had success at, at other F2F um, events that we've hosted. So, um, yeah, where were you? Do you remember that, that you played against me at GP Vancouver? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. Um, that's why I remember your face being somewhat familiar. And now that you bring <laughs> up Mono Black, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I completely remember now. Uh, I, I remember, was this, I think this was a feature match. Uh, 
Yeah, it was. I guess, yeah, possibly on camera or backup. And no, I it just, was backup. Yeah, and I, I was, was extremely new. <laughs> oh, okay, I just remember both of us having just a hilarious time because we're just both playing pack rats, and there was like the pack rat bow blade time, and and I just remember having a hilarious time with you. So you you were a pretty new player at that point. Is that what you're trying to say? So uh, something I remember was that was the first time I did. Uh, actually, that was like my second GP ever, and it was the first time I did kind of well. And um, I remember being called to feature match and going like, "Wait a minute, people are telling me this guy's a pro. He's a known figure. I don't want to go against a pro." And I'm telling my friend, "Like, oh god, I'm gonna get screwed here." <laughs> and I didn't lose that match, so you know that wasn't wrong. <laughs> It's good. I was never a pro, but I was just a known community figure at the time. Um, and then from then on, did you just keep grinding? Like, like John said, like you, you top eight at a GP and you did well at PT. So how, how was your playing like competitive uh, career since then? Like you just kept at it? So I play magic because it's extremely fun. And if, you know, if I ended up doing well, then that makes me happy. Uh, I go to the events that don't conflict with my schedule. I don't usually travel for them unless all my friends are going to it. But I sometimes get lucky and do kind of well. Um, I top 16 and 32, the couple of GPs around here. Uh, I still remember I had a win into um, GP, a top eight of GP Vancouver during Battle for uh, Battle for Zendikar, and I was against back then. I I think the France national champion, and I was extremely uh, uh I was extremely freaked out. I think I misplayed and missed my top eight. I was like, okay, I still get some money because I didn't really think. My friend reminded me, you know, you also missed out on a pro tour. You might okay. Now I hate my life. You know, like that. You, you did not need to do that. So um, I just slowly try to play better and. Uh, during um, Amonkhet, I top four my first RPTQ back then when those existed, and I got a free plane ticket to a PT, and I was excited, way more excited than I would have been even because I love Japan. It was PT Kyoto, and my friend got the exact same top four. We went there together, and we both got invited to um, Pro Tour Kyoto, and he also spoke Japanese, which is perfect. Uh, going to Kyoto, I ended up top aiding the uh, GP there. So just a great month in general. And then I, because I top aided the GP, I thought, you know what? This is great. This weekend's great already. I'm going to relax and just enjoy Japan, which resulted in me not sleeping enough and proceeded to punt day two of the Pro Tour after going X2 day one. Uh, doing kind of bad day two and missing out on another invite by one match. So if any of my four matches that I lost day two was a win, I would have made another pro tour. Uh, that proceeded on to me uh, going to my second pro tour where I forced a mid-range deck that was mediocre, but I ended up making day two, went 8-8. Eight, eight. Uh, coming back and just playing whichever event that comes into play, the face-to-face -face that you were talking about, I uh, top two'd one a while back playing Jund, where um, I did not think about the top the top two very much because we ended up splitting the credit. So I, I also ended up misplaying because I was very hungry. And <laughs> last uh, last face to face, the one that Jonathan actually won, I punted my way to top eight by writing down a card in my opponent's hand while playing Jund, proceeding to forget that they discarded it to my Liliana, and then playing around the whole game to the point where it lost <laughs> me the game. Wow. No, the, you know, the punts, a lot of them. <laughs> I, I mean, I just love how, um, just hearing you talk about basically your, your career, uh, I guess, um, how you're, you're taking the game, like you're playing because you love the game and, and it doesn't sound like you're taking it that seriously, but, uh, John had kind, kind words about you in private. He, he, he said he was, you were a very strong local player. It doesn't sound like you see yourself that way. Uh, I 
I like um, I am relatively realistic of my abilities. I do think I, I don't want to be overly humble. I do think I am a pretty strong player. Um, uh-huh. I've had a couple of my really strong other strong player friends has reaffirmed me of my abilities. I do punt still. I think in general, I wouldn't say any matchmaker do not punt. But I think the important thing for me is that every single time I punt, I uh, remember it and force myself to never do it again. I think that's one thing that's making me a little bit better. Um, I, one of my friends, I think some people know about him. He goes to quite a few pro tours. Nathaniel, he calls me a competitive casual in that I play very competitively, but I have a relatively casual mindset in that I'm here to have fun. Also, it's mostly a joke on me loving Chaos Draft. <laughs> <laughs> But, but John, can you tell me, how is it like to play against Roy? I mean, it, he just sounds like as fun as I remember playing him at his second GP. Yeah, don't, don't, listeners, don't, don't let his uh, humility, like, fool you. He's a shark. Uh, I would say, I would, like, confidently say that he's, like, a rock in the Vancouver Magic community. He, he, he's only not known more because, like, as, as he said, like, he doesn't really travel that much to, um, to events like unlike me he identifies himself as a casual spike which I, I i would say that i also am but like when he plays then you know he's like he if you ever get paired against him like uh, everyone in vancouver knows that you know it's it's gonna be in for a rough time um it's like gonna be like nothing's gonna be free and you know also also like a very pleasant and nice guy to talk to great attitude i would say that the only downfall for him is like he actually plays modern jund um which um i don't know like if his friends need to Hold an intervention for him, but like that's like that's like really about the only bad things I can say about him. Like he, Roy's great. I'm glad he won um, uh, the face to face. Like only because like I I let everyone in, in Vancouver have a chance because I went to New Jersey, obviously. But yeah, he, he's he's a great guy. He's a he's a he's a very good player, and uh, yeah, very happy very happy to have him here. I'm very happy that he took down face. Uh, Roy, is there anything? Uh Next for you in competitive, you're not. Are you playing a players tour regional? Are you going to any GPs or or, or is it still come as you go? Like, what's next? Uh, Effectively, it's whatever comes up. I will play um, any tournament around me that's not uh, conflicting with my schedule. I plan to go to the uh, face-to-face final thing in Calgary when it comes up. And of course, uh, GP Seattle, which is Team Limited, is coming up. And it's an t- event where I get to play with all my friends, uh, regardless how competitive they are. So that's also great. Uh, whatever comes up, comes up. Uh, even if it's FM, I just really enjoy, you know, shuffling up some physical cards and just dealing with the mouth table in front of my opponent, you know? That's what, yeah. You're you're just like one of the examples why why it's hard to see, you know, paper magic ever going away. So let's let's go back to to pioneer because these guys have some some potentially high stake matches to be played next week. Uh, yes, what of can you what can you tell them about your experience? Like, is it is are they good to just play this deck because it's the best uh, and just hope to dodge the model green ramp? Um, is that is that your overall feel, or do you, do you have some extra thoughts on on, on the archetype? So um, I compared Nizit possibly wrongfully so to modern Jund, uh, when Jund was better placed. In that Nizit has one real bad matchup and every, and pretty much no free wins. And but you have play, you constantly have play. Just like modern Jund, you have play against everything. People say modern Jund can never be Tron. I I disagree. I think modern Jund can, can easily be Tron if you get the right hand, if you play well, or you mulligan well. And the same for Nivmizit. Because it's a pro tour, everyone has decklists. That's an even better reason because you know exactly what you play around, exactly what you get with your brain to light. Um, so I would say if you want to, you know, hard grind every single uh, match, uh, leverage skill, have a chance constantly, other than against ramp which i don't think too many people are gonna play uh i would bring uh nivmizit of course play minimum three i'm a firm believer in three not four but definitely not one that's just because i can't find any um i think the fun runners right now there seems to be a lot of brewing with uh the ballista Yao deck which you can 
very much content with. And then there's a bunch of combo decks, which post-board you can handle. And the four rest in peace or three rest in peace and a hound would be generally pretty good against the matchup. Your creature mid-range matchups are very good. And I, in general, like main deck in language over um, either Solar Flare, the one that deals damage equal to their power to their toughness, uh, because language give, makes your main deck matchup against Soul Flare combo just so much better. And giving those small edges against every single matchup is how I like building on uh, this, this yeah solar fair versus spirits definitely not where you want to be <laughs> <laughs> um okay I, I pulled up the 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 stats that my team were was were able to come up with a bunch of things were under were uh, there were over 100 players at, at this tournament and a bunch of things were 5.7 percent or less there's like Mono mono red breach lotus storm is it in soul mono white devotion mono black aggro dread, like list goes on and the three archetypes that that had above five point seven were is it phoenix at six point six percent five color and divisit at nine point four and blue white control at fifteen point one so um there there you have it like the, that's the that were the top three archetypes. Uh, Car, I, I would jump in and say that uh, uh, just as any region would have some uh, regional preferences, I would say that there are a lot of maniacs and lunatics in Vancouver who will never play anything but blue white X, for example. Although I think blue white is like pretty good, uh, pretty good right now in Pioneer. Uh, if I recall, uh, Roy, I think he beat Ryan Perez in the finals, right? Yes. I assume he was on blue white. Yes, yes, he was. He's always on a version of blue white. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I figure. I, I, I personally think that matchup is kind of horrible, and uh, without like a lucky turn three to fairy uh, dispute or uh, uh, with dispute backup or whatnot, it's kind of hard. So maybe maybe you can take, uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, are you saying it's hard for Niv Mizzet or hard for Blue? Hard for Niv Mizzet is my my experience. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the general experience of game one is like that. Although I know what he was, so I hard kept a hand with. Uh, I tried to hard keep a hand with the fairy, which I couldn't. I multi six kept a mediocre hand and died. The key, though, I also played another Blue White player that tournament, and the, I think the key is just your post board is so good against them. You bring in like. Seven to possibly some of ten cards are extremely good in the matchup, and thought distortion if you can get it in, you know, it's a free win. The my general key is if I can, I would delay jamming until I have to, because when you have more, when you have more mana, you are capable of well forcing the blue white's hand a lot more due to the fact that as long as you can force them to counter either on their turn or use as many counters in like let's say two turn cycles as possible you can stick a teferi you can also just hard keep hand with the fairy that usually just wins um but thought distortion is a card that i think every blue white player never wants to see and i have had a game where i just casted nothing i know his hands are all counter spells i cast a turn two dork into nothing my hand is all cards i can cast i just casted nothing until i hit six mana he has all counter spells so he casted nothing i cast thought distortion he exiles six cards and i win that was not the finals that was um my, I think, third-round opponent. But that just goes to say how strong a uh, card-like Thought Distortion is. And I think that plus the existence of Thought Erasure, Thought Seize, Ragdoll's Return, these cards in your sideboard makes the matchup not as bad as people think, to be honest. Uh, that's fair. Um, there, it, bear, it does bear saying that Blue White lists now, ha- now are playing like a few summary dismissals, yes. well, uh, not only to respect uh, Niv Mizzet, but also to respect uh, Tron as well, where they have Ulamog and Emrakul. So that kind of like that kind of makes like uh, the thought distortion plan a bit awkward. But you can just like set it up so that you have seven mana and you can like do it with like Thoughtseize backup, for example. The the big distinction is that like in uh, unlike in Legacy, in Modern and Pioneer, the counter spells are not free. It's very expensive so um what, what you're alluding to there was you know just making the counter spells and their gameplay as awkward as possible and that usually does mean that like double spelling and whatnot but you know you, you have a lot of experience from uh, grinding on like crushing with like johnny modern so i'm not surprised that you're very comfortable um with um uh, playing a game against blue white 
uh, th than me, for example. You know, I in the GP New Jersey PTQ, I lost against Blue White, where you know the game one took like forty minutes, and you know I cast, I resolved Niv Mizzet like eight times in that game, and at the end, you know, I was like uh, triggering Niv Mizzet for like ten lands and whatnot. I'm pretty sure like. My opponent really just like outplayed me because I'm not really um, well versed in uh, mid range and con uh, versus control matchup. But um, matchups like this is uh, where um, uh, pilot experience do and do and will add a lot of value. So um, uh, it's interesting to hear uh, uh, your thought, your perspective on this for sure. Yeah, I do think the there is a very key factory mid range versus control uh same with modern jund it kind of works similarly at least i play it similarly with modern jund along with um um pioneer niv mizzet in that if you try to play a long game against blue white it's definitely going to become a small problem but you turn the corner really fast and you gotta forcefully turn that corner before they can sculpt their hand so in this deck, I don't lean on this Mizzet post-board. Uh, if it was up to me, I would actually go down to one Niv Mizzet post-board. Uh, didn't matter because I was one Niv Mizzet post-board anyways and pre-board. But if it was up to me, I would not lean on Niv Mizzet. I would purely lean on the power of your cards and, well, the power of Teferi. Along with, they have a relatively problematic situation where a lot of their answers center around, um, well, enchantment based removal because they don't have path. So, and other than enchantment removal, they put it on top. So I don't sideboard out my abrupt decays. I don't sideboard my third one in. But uh, but having abrupt decay gives you this end of turn sequence that makes it a little bit harder for them to deal with. And I will always try to keep a hand where I can put up some amount of pressure, whether it be on their mana or on their life total. And I do not believe in trying to grind it out. Even though you have the ability to, it's plan C at best. Yeah, those are all reasonable points uh, here. Just cutting cutting down on uh, Niv Mizzet is pretty interesting. You know, I, I would have leaned towards cutting down on like Green Two Lights somewhat because of their Teferi. But I also do leave him abrupt decay. I think that's a very important nuance as well because you know a lot of the uh, post war matches do revolve around Teferi three on both sides. So good point. Right. Let's uh, let's wrap up the show, um, Elliot. What were your thoughts with all this I information? What are you going to grind into Phoenix with now? Uh, well, definitely my number one choice is still going to be Niv-Mizzet. Um, I've even sort of, despite having some pretty sick results with it, have moved away from Izzet just because, um, I guess I should specify, this in Soul deck, because uh, I, I, those do sound very similar, uh, just because the more the Niv-Mizzet deck evolves, I think it gets better against these really... It, it gets to tool itself better against decks like this. Uh, initially, Insul was probably one of the worst matchups, uh, having a fast clock and uh, counter magic post board. But the thing is that that game plan is never going to advance and evolve. So the Niv Mizzet deck is going to be able to tool itself to have better answers in that matchup, as well as learn a new game plan where the in-soul deck can't really pivot. So I think that, you know, maybe if the tournament were last weekend instead of the PT being this weekend and the week after, in-soul could have been a really good choice, but I'm, I'm less likely to register it now uh, since the fact that Niv-Mizzet has sort of transformed itself quite considerably. Uh, the other deck I'm, I'm really considering is the blue-black Splinter Twin deck. Uh, I think that it's one of those decks where Niv either will not be able to adapt or at the very least won't have the time to. Um, the combo is not weak at all to removal. Uh, even like Thought Seize is not that great against them because the Thassa's Oracle can be in the graveyard and Inverter will return it to the deck. So it's really hard to attack that deck. You have to do it with counter magic and, and they get the same mystical disputes that you do at bare minimum post board. So 
that's a that's I think a scary one for Niv Mizzet and is 100 percent on my radar going into that weekend. John, John wanted to chime in. Yeah, let me let me just add that like because of the nature of op- the open deck list, um, what Roy said is like doubly true in terms of you know modern John or especially. Um, Pioneer, uh, Pioneer Niv Mizzet being highly customizable, especially because you have BTL, which basically acts as copies, you know, uh, two through five of a bullet spell that you want. So I would say that for most decks, except for maybe ramp, BTL can and should adjust. So when we have a lot of like uh, uh, highly capable and skilled and motivated players working on a deck like this, I would expect the Niv Mizzet decks to look a lot more polished, a lot more ready for its bad matchups, especially in the open deck list uh, uh, forum where you, you know exactly what you need to play around, you know exactly what you need to answer. So I think the Niv Mizzet is going to be a good choice for that reason, as well as the cards in the Niv Mizzet deck being uh, above the Pioneer power level bar, in my opinion. So I think um, it will be a good choice and perhaps the number one play deck at PT Phoenix. Randy, Andy, I, I guess we could, you would expect it to put up some numbers at either Brussels or, or Nagoya this weekend, Andy? Yeah, it really just depends on how many people go into that tournament beg for my sideboard, but <laughs> I think uh, it will do very well. It'll probably be, I would guess, the best performing deck and the most represented deck. Oof. Oof. Okay. Any, anything uh, you want to add before we wrap? Uh, I just uh, not really. I think uh, I think you guys covered a lot of good stuff about uh, where Niv Mizzet's at. I don't think I would ever cut a Niv Mizzet against Blue White, but that's just me. I think uh, you can cut Bring Delight before you cut Niv Mizzet because Bring Delight's super hard to resolve with Teferi, and it also gets like Dovin's vetoed and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. Play Niv Mizzet is really good. It's good against all the aggro decks, even the new faster red deck. With uh, last question for you: With Lamar Jackson out, are you still going to watch the the Super Bowl? Uh, I am going to watch the Super Bowl, but it'll my heart won't be in it. You know. <laughs> do you do you have a side? Do I have a side? Uh, Andy Reid. I would like to see Andy Reid win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's go, Team Andy. Um, Roy, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I mean, I hope you crushed another tournament because it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. And, thank you for uh, having me. I don't know if you want to give shout-outs to anyone. We're going to probably put this podcast in some of the BC groups. So if there's anyone that, that you think would like to hear a shout-out, go, go right ahead. Um, I would like to thank uh, Steve Arabani because that's the one Niv Mizzet I got. And a no Niv Mizzet, a Niv Mizzet deck does not work. So uh, that completely saved my tournament. And then uh, my other friend Omri, who uh, not only tested me for the tournament, but also was the one that went there first to try to see if there was Niv Mizzet and then stuck with me a while. We waited for all the blue-white games to go on forever. So yeah, <laughs> good friend. All right, thank you, thank you so much, uh, John. Wanted one more word before I, uh, before I end the stream. Go ahead. Let me let me have this last word here for um, PT Nagoya and Brussels, as well as PT Phoenix next uh, the weekend after. I'm, I would look out for uh, one inverter of uh, truth, but not in a way that you would expect it. I would expect those inverter lists to. Uh, evolve into something a bit more combo centric so i would uh, I, I would say that look out for that bird of truth can you break it in time for phoenix then john i have a good idea on what to do with invert of truth let's, let's just say that all right keep your keep your eyes on it for strike nation all right with that and end our stream and uh have fun everyone this weekend good luck to everyone that all our friends at brussels nagoya um, and we got an F2F event, tour event in Saskatoon this Saturday. So good luck to all my friends there and, and everyone else. We're going to make the trek to get there. Uh, for the rest of the guys and myself, uh, we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>